Welcome, Pathfinders, to After Party number 40 for the Mummy's Mask actual play. Something, something. I can never remember how Rick does these intros. Anyway, how's everybody doing today? <laughs> On the past podcast, actual play of the Mummy's Mask Adventure there you Path. Go. We're not actually playing right now. I nope, know. Not playing. We are talking about what we have played. Mummy's Mask talk actual talk about the Mummy's Mask Adventure Path. Oh. Actual talk. <laughs> Anyway, oh, man, we totally misnamed these after parties should have been actual talks. <laughs> Real so, talk. This yeah. is after party number 40, if you guys can believe that. Holy crap. Whoop, whoop. Uh, I know. Episodes yeah. 118, 119, and 120. We're getting Neat. up there. Yep. Episode 118 was our uh, shopping trip at the Merchant's Oasis. Everybody got some cool new gear? Yeah, Masika's making herself some celestial armor. It's mostly done. It just can't fly right now. So I, I know that we kind of skip over this during the episode. What all did everybody get? I'm always curious what everybody else bought. I bought spells. Yeah, Masika's working on <laughs> that uh, celestial armor, which is mostly done. It just doesn't have the fly ability because Rick let me say, hey, it gives you your AC, but not the cool ability. So we could not sit at the Merchant's Oasis for like another month. Um, Narmer got his cool headband that lets him have max ranks and perception. So since he's awake all the time, he can help on watch, which we'll talk about that in the following episode stuff. And then I got that cool corset that I think I talked about already that lets me squeeze through small spaces. Hollis bought, Hollis bought nine fifth level spells and a seventh level spell scroll and the ink to, to put them in her book. And then she also upgraded her headband and that's pretty much all of Hollis gold. Wizard. Wizard. <laughs> yeah, Sudi's only cool thing was the uh, slotless golem bane scarab because everything else was just I increased my bracers of armor and I increased my what else did I increase? I've already forgotten, but I did stuff to up my AC. Oh, and mm. I think I finally actually got my unarmed strikes to plus two instead of plus one. I'd like to take a moment to appreciate a question that Jordan asked that he can't actually answer himself. Yes. <laughs> also. I bought a bunch of freedom of movement scrolls and passed them out between Citra and myself to, to cast. That seems necessary. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, Citra. I kind of did the I did the same as as Sudi did, where I did a lot of like upping armor class and all that jazz. Nothing wrong with that. But we yeah. did have the the Merit Hetef vision, and it seems like I cannot remember Hollis's friend's name that is bound with uh, Hawketep. Yeah, but it doesn't seem like. We're going to be able to separate them from what uh, Merit Hetef told us. Well, Merit Hetef is not the best spellcaster. Hollis thinks it's possible still. <laughs> it's one of those interesting things where it's like we have kind of the unreliable narrator type situation going with that kind of information gathering. But it's also you're kind of predisposed to want to there to still be a chance to save Sarathet. So yeah. it's interesting and I wasn't in that episode, but didn't the Hatia pretty much tell you guys the same thing? That there was no chance of separating them when she was talking about the she, artifact to you guys? She said that, but then Citra sensed motive, and she was just saying it, like, on principle, not because she actually knew. Okay. Yeah. I just remembered you all talking about that. It'd be safer not to hold back and to just destroy the threat than attempt to do anything mm -hmm. heroic. I gotta say... Pretty effing interesting of Rick to be like, hey, you're going to bring a new character in? Cool. Your best friend that saved your life? Definitely the big bad guy. <laughs> <laughs> Oops. You know, like like you do. 
you open an interesting door there, Jess, because it is that that fun thing that if a player is bringing in something, especially if they come to the Game Master, that I can encourage that player to do something that will tie them even more fully into the events of the story. I mentioned the whole uh, clockwork angle to Heather Yay, because Norman. there's a larger clockwork theme. And then there there is almost a, a very strong parallel between Masika and her clockwork pursuits and her connection to this Chisasek and his clockwork pursuits and being part of the uh, Yerba. I can't remember. Yeah, the, I think it's Yerba. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, but it's a similar thing with Jessica where it's a new character can open up the door for a game master to make the story tie better to the party as a whole. I also like to think that uh, Hollis doesn't completely believe Merit Hetef because like, hmm, I know you're a bard and that's a charisma-based spellcaster and they're not the most reliable. <laughs> they do a lot of enchantment. <laughs> they do a lot of embellishment. Well, I mean, she's known Merit Hetef for a long time, so, I mean, yeah. they were friends, but also, like, and, you know, she's a spellcaster, so they're chill, but Hollis has never seen her as, like, the leader of the group or anything. Apparently she was a little bit more power-hungry. Oh, yeah, she's always been that way. A lot of Nethys people are. Yeah, she was the worm tail of the group. Yes. Oh. oh. <laughs> <laughs> but she she's didn't quite, do the noble sacrifice at the end. She's not quite that bad. Like, she doesn't stop oh, no. a small boy his whole life or anything. But then no. we moved on to episode 119, which is us wandering around the desert, and Sudi is not allowed to babysit Narmer anymore. <laughs> okay, Narmer is a perfectly independent, intelligent construct that doesn't need babysitting. Like, I'm my own man. Have, yeah, he's do, his own man. Uh-huh. Sure. Okay. Sudi, so so, okay, the thing about it is, like, <laughs> so, like it's funny because, like, Masika kind of treats him like the little kid brother that has to be watched out for, and Sudi treats him kind of like an equal, where it's like, <laughs> hey, I mean, if you want to go do that, I mean, you're pretty capable of doing this. I think you can do it, buddy. <laughs> oh, my God. Hey, to be fair, when we first met Masika, she had sent her construct out as, like, as a bait. distraction <laughs> slash bait. So, like, we don't know. Yeah, but Masika was, like, 15 feet away. It wasn't, I'm going to send Narmer 20 miles off into the desert all by himself with no backup. (laughs) I mean, granted, Sudi's not the smartest person in the group. He was probably just extrapolating that you would have done that. (laughs) He made an educated guess. I mean, it's it's also one of those things that uh, Sudi has a 16 wisdom, but only a 10 intelligence. I I have to occasionally have him just sometimes like not think things through when it comes to like that kind of tactical stuff because... Honestly, like, he was probably like, okay, Narmer flies really fast. I don't know of anything that really flies that fast. He's also immune to a lot of stuff. And he's and immune to a stealth. lot of stuff. So, and he's super stealthy. So, like, it seems like and a good idea to send the SR-71 Blackbird <laughs> over to take some pictures, you know? Like, it seems fine. But, yeah, we did find the destroyed camp in the journal that now we have this undead monstrosity mo- roaming around the desert hunting, we mm. think, the scorpion people. Well, yeah. Yeah, it's I kind of wonder when it's done. I, I think Kabek had probably gotten to the Scorpion people uh, beforehand. I think the cult did anyway. Yeah, the, or the cult did in some fashion and converted them, and that's why they betrayed this guy. And now he's like on his murderous rampage. Oh man, what if the Baycock is after the cult and we can team up with it? That'd be cool. That'd be super cool. I don't think that they would ever do that because 
Paycocks are just kind of like murder machines. I don't think Sudi would yeah. ever do that because he follows Phrasma. Yeah. Yeah. Now he's... you just ruined my whole plan, well, man. You're always like... forgetting Sudi follows Phrasma. It's true. No, <laughs> you're Sudi, also forgetting Sudi that Sudi is lawful. Sudi is lawful to like, you know, the idea of doing the right thing and like protecting monuments and stuff. But like, that's not how that works. We, we get into the one, episode 120 <laughs> thing about. So, yeah. So, so now there's this Baycock and I'm wondering how much that's going to play into the whole sightless Sphinx versus her scorpion sister thing from hmm. Tedesura's story. I don't know. So, or it's another thing to bother us on our way to the place. Yeah. Still, I, don't. I, I really appreciate including such a like an interesting undead because I always find Baycocks are really interesting. And they're sad. Yeah. They're kind of like uh, Pathfinder's version of Wendigos are sad. Oh, a little bit, yeah. Yeah, and they've got that whole thing where it's like I just I just wanted I just wanted to be the best. I just wanted to I just wanted know, to finish more. this hunt. Yeah. I just wanted to get revenge for my family and now I'm an undead. Yeah. It can also be the other way. There's a uh it reminds me of a short story from Guy de Maupassant, who is a who's a famed Did uh, he write the necklace? Yeah. But he also wrote like weird horror stories. Now we know how Rick found him. Weird horror stories. Um, he also wrote the Horla, which is the one that I originally knew him from, and then sought out some of his other stuff afterwards because that's a phenomenal short story. Yeah, the necklace is like taught in every school in America. <laughs> I never read it. Okay, except weird private schools. Anyway, long story short, was he wrote a short story? I can't remember what the name of it was, but it was about the beast in France that uh, Brotherhood of the Wolf is also based off of that story oh, yeah. of the monster thing that was attacking everyone. And he wrote this short story about, like, two brothers who went out to track it down and about how, like, his entire family was dedicated to hunting except for, like, following their death from this whole hunting thing that they've now sworn off hunting because it's as much of an addiction for them as alcoholism can be for another family. Interesting. And talked about, like, how anything can be an addiction even if you think it's a noble thing if taken to too far of an extreme. And so this That's monster fair. kind of reminds me of that. Yeah, it's an obsession. That's super wise. Yeah. But at the very end of that episode, we had uh, found the lost temple of Serenre and had Flash our Wars. encounter with the uh, the very rude royal naga. Yeah, I mean, Masika tried <laughs> to go up the stairs, but she stopped when we started diplomacing. So, I mean... It was one of those things that, like, I kind of had a vibe, like, it just wasn't going to end well. He, he definitely seemed very uncompromising and like Except arrogant. that he was compromising. He was compromising because I rolled really friggin' good. He was going to let us search for his crown, which who knows how far away that is, how long it would take. We didn't get a chance to find out. Yeah, but it wasn't going to be in that temple and there's nothing around here, so it was literally like... Uh, like no, we're not gonna go find your stupid crown, you stupid, stupid man. Well, and it's it's the Sudi growing up on the streets thing where it's like, oh, I need you to go find my crown I've lost somewhere, and it's just like, oh come on, dude, go find it yourself. Nobody like, likes to be patronized. Yeah, I would like just, to mention that Masika has locate object as one of her spells for the day yeah. from her shaman uh, thing. What? Okay, if, if we it's had, in a thousand feet or whatever. Okay, that might have changed the calculus a little bit. No, not gonna lie. If it was in a thousand feet, this guy could have just gone and gotten it himself. Yeah, but it very much had a, well, go get it yourself. And also, who loses their crown if you're, like, royalty? Like, who brings a crown on an expedition, one? But two, who loses it when it's, like, your, like, symbol of office or whatever, you know? Well, I think the other piece is, like, Hollis didn't cast any spells. She didn't throw a punch. She was just a little rude. 
And he exploded yes. into a giant yeah, multi-headed that's thing. A, that's enough for a royal naga when yeah, it talks. Yeah, I was to just saying, it's, well, sure. It's the <laughs> same as, like, dealing with the crystal dragon. It's true, but the crystal dragon wasn't really in our path so much as, you know, we could have gone around. Yeah, but, but... the crystal dragon... Also, that was Sagira, not Hollis. Still, but, I mean, the, the logic behind it is is there. To play devil's advocate, because, you know, he was my monster. Still is, actually. He's still out there. I was going to yeah, say, he escaped. It was, he is minding his own business, still searching through this tomb, when suddenly some random people show up and say, hey, you know, I know that you live here, apparently, and all the rest of that, but first off, you don't own this place because this is in the desert and it belongs to everyone. Oops, Masika. Yep. Secondly... We're, we need to search this place, and we don't trust the fact that you're intelligent enough to be able to tell us whatever the answers are. Thirdly, I'm just going to shove by you and walk right into your home. Oh, wait, no, now you're trying to talk to us. He said he didn't live there. We asked him. He doesn't feel like he needs to answer some questions from some random people that show up on his doorstep and start <laughs> demanding things of him. He's lived for hundreds of years. Not to mention the fact that if, if this is based off of real-life Egypt... They were super xenophobic. So Generally. strangers well, coming in at all would have been like a big... This guy was not like, Osiriani, nah. Rachel. <laughs> this yeah. guy was a freaking Naga. But Hollis wasn't upset about the whole, he's too, he's not smart enough to tell us. It was, I don't trust you because I don't know you to tell us the truth. And then we have to tell you our whole reason for being out here, which is supposed to be a secret. <laughs> that ended up being the problem is he didn't want to reveal to anyone that he was a Naga because he assumed that you would be a bunch of racist effers and murder him because he wasn't human. And you didn't want to tell him why you were out here. So you basically were at an impasse where neither of you wanted to tell one another's backstories to actually explain this. And it doesn't help the fact that he's just arrogant. Yeah. And then suddenly it's, well, these people are come in here and now they're being rude and inconsiderate to me and also demanding to come inside of my home where I keep all of my treasure. So F that. Uh, he actually intended to not kill any of you. His plan was to blind and deafen as many of you as possible, preferably charm a couple of you in the meantime, get you to get what he wanted anyway, which is his missing crown, because he's kind of busy and doesn't have time to go and look for it. And then once you did that, he would give you some information and then tell you to scoot on your way. But uh, unfortunately, it then devolved into combat. You know what? What a a combat it was, too. Blinding, deafening, and casting suggestion on people, I account as offensive. So those are like not nice people spells. Those are combat spells. Well, keep in in mind, if you don't have any spell casting and being blinded and deafened is a permanent effect. That kills you in the desert just as easily. Yeah, you'll die in the desert. Yeah, friends. Well, we do. With friends like these. (laughs) Uh, But no, I found that fight really interesting because, like, he just, like, had a really awesome offensive ability with the gaze attacks and then was doing so many defensive spells that were just really messing us up. Because he apparently wasn't actually trying to kill us. True. No, it's, it's an interesting build for a monster because it really is, he has so many abilities that can be defensive and just starting with a high armor class to begin with. I think his armor class is base 26. So it's 30 because he cast it's 30 because he cast mage armor that morning and 34 because he started out with a shield spell once he came outside. (laughs) Okay. So so that's why it was cranked so high because it felt like I could not hit him at all. Yeah. When we first started. Okay. Well, as soon as you were able to hit him, he ran away. That's true. Well, and you kept asking yeah. us to make heal checks, too. 
The heel check was to, to notice that Sudi was supposed to be bleeding. Oh, okay. That is, the bite also oh. does bleed attack, but does bleed damage. So really, he's kind of a fight that all he has to do is hit you once or twice to start the bleed damage. And then it's just a battle of attrition. Mm-hmm. He's like a Komodo so, dragon. Yeah, yeah. Actually, yeah that, yeah, that is very accurate. He bites you once and then just follows you around until you die. Yeah. It, it is kind of funny because I mentioned the fact because you were like, you know, blood, your blood is still gushing out. And I'm like, yeah, but the wound seal. And, and Sudi just looks up at him and is like, hit harder. So I didn't even think about the fact that, like, I, I'm immune to bleed damage and nobody else was getting hit. Yeah. I mean, Hollis did a lot of like, OK, I'm going to get rid of this. I'm going to haste everyone. I'm going to get rid of your thing. I gave him a chance to let you finish diplomacying him. I just cast haste. And then he cast suggestion on Sudi and Hollis. It's like, I don't know about that. Although we'll point out, he cast suggestion on Sudi and told Sudi to disarm everyone. Yeah, he didn't actually tell us to, to me to hurt you yeah, or anything. taking people's armor off makes them easier to kill. True. And taking True. all their weapons makes it impossible for them to fight back. But as he said <laughs> it, so that you would be on even ground. Well, that's just so it sounds reasonable for the spell. Yeah. <laughs> what would it- well, what was interesting about that, though, was that um, the moment that Sudi charged up at him and, like, you know, Citra was trying to get up, he started backing away from us at first. Mm-hmm. And I was, like, kind of thrown off by that because I'm like, wait, why would you back away from us other than to try to get more attacks at us? But I he wasn't really doing like that. I honestly think it didn't really want to fight us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, that's that's it why in its, us in. in its morale section, once you've dropped it down to a certain hit point threshold, it just says F this noise. I love my treasure, but it's not worth dying for. Also, I'm wearing some of it already. Invisibility, and I'll slither off into the desert for revenge. Yeah, yeah. Yep, so now we've made an enemy in the desert. That's fine. No, it's not. Not really. I mean, we've got all enemies. All we have is enemies and, like, a little a tribe of people that are friends, but everybody else enemies. No. The giants are friends. The three ray are friends. Yeah. As long as we find their bee baby. The Beckon are your friends. Yeah. I said a tribe the of people. Orphans of uh, Tefu are pretty cool with you as far as Neef and Okay, Neef's but I'm not dragging children, literal children, into this. The Church of Phrasma likes you, even if the Church of Nethys in the South doesn't. Most yeah, of the Sacrosanta the the Order of the Blue meh. Feather doesn't like you. Although some of them do like us. Because <laughs> that's a weird. Well, it's. We're, we're it's running, we're running like, fairly neutral. And, and poor Masika yeah. is blind. It doesn't get to see the awesome construct piece in the, you know, treasure trove of this guy. What is. Yeah, what a sad moment. Yeah. It is also, sad. Also, Narmer has apparently extremely precise mathematical calculation aiming. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. I, well, I did, did you appreciate know. that. He's a little computer. True. He's got one of those cool uh, surveying tools built into his eye. <laughs> oh, nice. I just imagine he comes with his own internal compass. Mm-hmm. And uh, like yep. a little, you know, protractor and like <laughs> a, g- a gimbal or whatever. He sticks out a flipper and it just shoots out like one of those uh, extendable tape measures. And just <laughs> <laughs> it's like a little Swiss Army knife. Yep. Mm-hmm. That's pretty fun. And on my left flipper, I've got a corkscrew in case we have to open some wine. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Nice. Also oh. works as an improvised weapon. Oh, little Narmer. <laughs> Maybe that's true. I'm curious about the little stone thing, because I'm like, are we going to need this in the future? Is that a thing that we're going to need? I to, don't like... know. Masika is going to try to repair the, the metal sage. Yep. I was going to say, like, what a find. Like, everything else, we're like, eh, it's art pieces and various other bits and bobs. That thing, though. That could be very useful. Uh, yes. All right. So on to our emails. Cool. Our first email is from uh, Jim. It says from Houstonish, Texas. 
It's Houston-ish. hot. Houston-ish. It's hot. It's humid, and with occasional hurricanes, it's the sodden lands. I yeah. mean, yeah, yeah, that's yeah, fair. pretty much, pretty that's much. I have, I have family down in Beaumont, so yeah, yeah. I, I know how unpleasant it can be down there. <laughs> also, the traffic. You think mm. Dallas is bad? Traffic oh, Houston is traffic is the worst I've ever seen in the world. I don't know. Not getting caught on the bridges in Austin. The world I've been to. <laughs> well, I'm thinking like the traffic in Bali was a little crazy. Well, yeah, because people I've were weaving in and out. You've been to Vietnam. <laughs> Vietnam traffic was surprisingly efficient. Oh, okay. Anywho, yeah. I don't know. Think there's much traffic in the sodden lands. <laughs> a, bunch of, a bunch of ships get jammed up trying to <laughs> navigate their way. But he says, uh, "Hi, FTP crew. I know Rick doesn't like compliments, so I'm writing with a complaint. <laughs> <laughs> You're also good. I have trouble listening to any other actual play podcast. Uh, we apologize <laughs> insincerely. That's like sorry, not sorry. That's like a, a backhanded. Yeah, it's like a backhanded complaint. <laughs> yes. He says, "I listen to a lot of podcasts, and I must have just and I must have tried at least ten other groups." Between juvenile comments when there is an LGBT character, lack of rules mm. knowledge, nervous laughter, or just plain being boring, I'm constant. I'm constantly being disappointed. You all are Aww. just so good. You set the bar too high from everyone else. For everyone else, please keep it up. <laughs> <laughs> we appreciate this complaint. We will take it under into consideration and uh, improve uh, from forthwith. It's true. Jim does have a couple of questions. Do you All play right. board games like Settlers, TTR, Pandemic, Azul, or Small World? How about miniatures games like Battletech, Malifaux, X-Wing, or Heroescape? I mean, I've Pandemic. I played Pandemic. Yeah, we do. We used to, you know, in the before times. Sometimes we would play board <laughs> games uh, before the but, late unpleasantness. Yes, uh, Betrayal yes. at a House on the Hill. Yeah, that, that's, that's, a, that's a go-to for us. And uh, so. I mean, Cards Against I'm Humanity. The we do that. We used to do that one a lot. And what was Super Fight? Is that another one that Super we played yeah, a lot? Yeah, we did a lot of Super Fight. That Pandemic so. was fun. Pandemic, pandemic was, yeah. Yeah, right until there was a pandemic. And now yeah, it's then it was fun. less fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was just um, called real world. As far as tabletop games are concerned, yeah, 40K. Back yeah, in the I've day, dabbled I in had 40K. A Second on 40 time. or third on 40K. Salamanders for the win. No. Ross plays Magic the Gathering. Ross, yeah, Ross, Ross is, is huge in Magic the Gathering, yeah. 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 But, and then he asks, what's the oddest character you've ever played? Currently, I'm playing a Typhling Paladin in our Rise of the Rune Lords campaign. We just found Zenshalost and hit level 16. Y'all are getting the close oddest? to the end. Oh, man. That's good stuff, though, in the last book there. Also, and I don't really consider this a spoiler, but heads up, Greg Vaughn book. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. So Anytime it's Greg Vaughn, you better just... <laughs> Squeeze your butt cheeks. Buckle up. Yeah, buckle (laughs) up. (laughs) The oddest character. Probably Elsa for you, Jess. Elsa's really strange. No, that's not. I don't know if that's the weirdest character. She has a big personality, but she's not weird. Ketra's probably the oddest thing I've ever played. Are you going to expand on what Ketra is or? Oh, right. It's just a name Uh, to people. (laughs) Ketra Shadow Forge is, or was a purple skilled kobold whose egg had been found by an, an old dwarven explorer who raised her in the city of Corvosa to, so she knew a lot about, she was the first time I played with brawler. She was a rogue brawler. Uh, like, so I did rogue and snakebite brawler. She was not very charismatic, but she talked too much. And uh, <laughs> she was very cute and kawaii. And she was always doing like 
that thing that people do when they're awkward and they don't know they're awkward. We're like, hey, you have a big hat or your nose is big, like the little kid thing um, <laughs> to like people you shouldn't tell them that like, oh, hi, you're the magistrate. You've got a weird hat, like that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, so she was pretty weird, but I loved her. I loved her the most. I mean, what comes to mind for me is Elisage, my character from, uh, oh my gosh, what's the name of that campaign? The Cthulhu one. Strange Aeons. There you go. (laughs) It's early, y'all. Apparently my brain's not firing on all cylinders. She's an Azamar Hell uh, hell Knight, so she's kind of the opposite of your paladin. (laughs) With a hand. Yeah, and she has that uh, that feet feet tree from uh, the, what is that, the occult? book the little occult book i can't remember what it's called um so her i took uh she's an eldritch fighter so she has a familiar and her familiar is uh the spirit of a contract devil that is in her hand and i took the feet tree so he can detach and run around and do things all on his own mm-hmm. yep i usually play the type of character that's the so i usually play the character that makes the most sense for the setting i think the only time that i played a character that i would consider odd was i intentionally played an inquisitor of Shalin <laughs> because I wanted to be the inquisitor oh, man, of that love was amazing yeah, and fight for fun. love the uh, defining uh, bit of that character was the fact that we knew if he showed any interest in a character that that character was evil yeah <laughs> yeah that was a that was a weird running trope that just happened to emerge in a bunch because it was just a bunch of modules yeah. we were running it just happened it, yeah, to emerge. it just happened it wasn't intentional whatsoever and that's what made it so much it's, it's also one of those rare occasions where I found a, a game mechanic that caused me to develop a character in a different way, where I really loved that was a blistering invective is a great oh, yeah. spell, but it requires you to like scream profanities at people <laughs> to cause them yeah. to burst into flames. And so I liked the spell so much that I decided to give my character a bit of a, a rage issue. Whereas most of the time, he's all about love and companionship and getting along together. But every once in a while, if someone really ticks him off, nope. Here comes the explosive words of spontaneous combustion. True. I know what Jordan's going to say. Yeah. So also from our Strange Aeons Adventure Path that Elisage is from, um, I play a Gathlane Arcanist, which Gathlane are like fae that kind of slip through the cracks and like emerge into the uh, real world. So he's already kind of weird. um, Named? Named? Sherbert Tinkertoy, which I've mentioned before, um, which is a (laughs) hilarious name. Uh, he doesn't fly, so Gathlane normally can fly. I gave him the thing where he could climb on the walls instead, so he's kind of like Spider-Man, just like climbing on the walls and stuff. Like literally, like combat begins and he just climbs onto the ceiling and starts shooting like fireballs and stuff. Yeah, but he's got like a really messed up past. Once we finally got our memories back, and like you know, he he's from Origin, which is uh, a town where half the town just kind of disappears occasionally and goes somewhere else. And like he's messed with time and messed with like that kind of stuff and so he had like a uh, hound of tendalos after him and it was like super super cool character you know concept. what all the characters in that game have cool backstories because you had that and then ha- rachel's character her parents had been killed by the final blade and she was involved in trying to steal a final blade and destroy it and then my character was literally in a cult of rovagug and like had some sort of weird lingering disease from being made into like a seer in that <laughs> cult of the orcs or whatever and then we have the Hell Knight with the Contract Devil. Like there, like there were a lot of things. Yeah, <laughs> I think we all we all went like a little mad with that one because that's that's a pretty crazy adventure path, and we definitely went crazy with the characters. Mm-hmm. That was fun. I'm I'm trying to think of odd characters. That my one attempt at being odd, I ended up being the most normal one in the group. <laughs> 
I mean, Viorica is probably my weirdest one, even though, again, in the grand scheme of things, she was the most normal. She was my changeling sorceress uh, who grew up in a carnival as a juggler. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of her whole thing. And she defended her her carnival from a werewolf. And that's how she kind of got pulled into the to the main story. But again, in the grand scheme of things, she was the most normal person in that group. She was looking at everybody else like, holy you crap. You can't help the fact <laughs> that the rest of us had very odd characters in that game. <laughs> yeah. Rick's character was normal except for the whole reincarnation aspect. Sure. Yeah. I had a he nine just... to five job. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, Jim signs off with, thanks for all the hours of great podcasts. Hopefully next year you can come down to a con in Houston. That'd be fun. Yeah. yeah. That would be fun. Once cons are a thing again that road aren't trip. online. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm down for a road trip. Where we all meet in Austin, which we all know is like a great city in Texas. <laughs> sure. Keep Austin weird. Our second email is from Tom, who doesn't tell us anything about where he's from. So uh, the void, is that where we're putting people? (laughs) (laughs) I think we've we've done this before, because this is not the first time Tom's... This is is Tom, friend of the pod, Tom, who uh, Heather and I met at PaisoCon. Oh, okay. Yes. Well, Tom knows where he's from. It's a secret. Shh. Secret. Um, He says, uh, great storytelling for Aachen... Akinhet's tale of the Sphinx and Chisisek. How fully do you script those flashbacks, line by line, or just keynotes, Rick? <laughs> Actually, I don't. I know Rachel knows about this. I don't know if you guys do. <laughs> I know nothing. We've never really talked about how scripted the flashbacks are. Yeah, a little binder here. Gonna hold that up there. Uh, this contains all my story notes for Mummy's Mask. Rachel, steal it. <laughs> I want to say it's a. I want to say it's. 14 or 16 pages on everything about Hakatep. He does tempt me because he'll just leave it out <laughs> and I'll see it and I'm just like, oh, I could read it right now. Oh, and I usually end up closing it, it and I just put it back in his office like a good little player. <laughs> <laughs> That's why oh I no, it Rachel. fell on the ground and now I have to look at it. <laughs> He's like got you trained, power. I think Jess would peak. <laughs> yeah. Jess would peak. She's bad. <laughs> But the the short version of it is usually when we do a flashback, I'll take in essence a ba- about a paragraph or so from from the backstory, and it's not line for line like there's a structure. I know what I want to tell with it, but I tend to leave it pretty free flow. I'll write down a couple bullet points of this is the information I need to get acl- across, and if I have some specific phrasing or words that I want to use for the flashbacks, then yeah, I'll include that in there too. But no, it's it's mostly free form. Alrighty. Well, yeah. our third email is from Garen in the Mana Wastes. Yeah. Nice. nice. Like Hakatep, this will be divided into three parts. Nice. Part one, <laughs> I'll keep the praise short. Well done. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Two, Thank Water you. World is an amazing movie. Oh. Yes. Yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> he Vindication. Says, sure, the acting is corny. Sure, a hurricane destroyed the main shooting site. And yeah, maybe some of it was forgettable, but the plot and the plot is a little cheesy. But overall, still an excellent movie. I say this with a hundred percent sincerity. Rachel, you have one person that agrees with you. One. <laughs> <laughs> that's all. That's all she needs. <laughs> I am validated. <laughs> Entertainment is sparse in the Manawis. <laughs> and the dream of water is too great. Ah, yes. <sighs> I and love Waterworld. I would still go watch that today, and I would probably still enjoy it, and you guys can all just F right off. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Three. 
You all do so well at the table, and you all appear to have matching levels of investment into the game and the story you play. I was wondering if you've ever dealt with playing in groups where players had mismatched levels of enthusiasm. Something like everyone wants to play the game, but some are more, some are more involved in certain aspects than others. How would you recommend balancing this for, without slowing the game down for others? I mean, the only time I've ever really played in a game where there's the varying levels of investment is kind of the games that you just kind of sit down and play at like a game store or something like that. I've been lucky in having a group that is on level with me. I don't know about the yeah. rest of you. I feel like I have an insight on this and I'm, I'm curious if everyone else here will agree with me on this, that one of the advantages, one of the advantages of having the uh, phenomenal gaming group that I do is Sometimes you are not going to be the center of the attention. Of attention. Sometimes you are not going to be the one that the story that beats that are currently happening actually apply to. But if you can make yourself interested in what everyone else is doing, you will always be invested. Yep. So yep. sure, it might be a Sudi centric episode, but if everyone is actually interested in Sudi's backstory, then it doesn't matter if he's the focus of that episode. Every fifty episodes. Every fifty episodes. <laughs> yep. The Sudi centric episode. <laughs> yep. Um, and I, we I, we've been playing a lot of society. Jess and I have on like the Discord and stuff, and it's it's one of those things where like I think we all have the things that we like or dislike about how those games kind of can go down, and you know, especially in society, getting people's backstory and stuff doesn't really necessarily super happen that much. It's you know, at best, it's a hey, tell me about your character real quick for like two minutes before we go into the adventure. Um, I think part of it is that people can be kind of mismatched because like if we're real big role players because like Jess and I love to role play um, and some people don't it is kind of a challenge um, in some cases to not just end up being the face I think that being conscious of the fact that some people might not be as invested in what you're doing can help you kind of control the environment you know we I've gotten into some groups that just they're just they didn't want to really role play I mean you know sometimes I don't want to really role play either because I've had like a long day and I'm picking up this game at the end of the day and I'm kind of tired and I can go and look and see like about you know an hour into the to the game okay not everybody's really into the role playing stuff so I'll keep the, my role play kind of short so we can kind of move on and especially if you're a GM that's something to kind of keep in mind that not everybody likes, you know, some people, the combat's not going to be super interesting for them. You know, they're like, oh, I just do this whatever thing. They don't really think tactically or anything like that. And that's fine. I mean, if that's, if you're in, in the position to be able to control the narrative, maybe, you know, pull back on the combat, make that go a little bit faster, you know, enhance the role play. And I think another thing is like, if you're a GM in this situation, it's a group you play with regularly chatting to know what everybody likes and doesn't like uh, and then you end up with a group that likes some things or maybe they just they don't not like role play they just don't know what to do with it uh, so you can encourage your stronger role players to like offer openings like when I play games I try to like point out things or draw other players into my role play by being like haha you see this thing or what do you think or that sort of stuff? Because sometimes people are just nervous. Uh, role playing can be scary, especially if you don't know the people that well. And so having a strong role player that's gonna like purposefully like bring the less speaking inclined out can help. And you can either talk to your players or if you're that player, just make it a habit. Yeah, I was gonna say <laughs> one of the things that 
I think helped us early on. Other, I mean, because Rick kind of did that for us, brought in a strong player. But you had that thing with the knowledge checks where you would type them out and hand them to the individual players. Yeah. So rather than everybody getting the information, oh, you made this knowledge check, it, it kind of, it encouraged the role play because this one character had the information and they have to convey it. And I, I think that was just one of the many tools that you can use to kind of help with yeah. that and kind of balance it out. Yeah, and beyond just investing people through role-playing, which some people will be invested in the, in a game with no role-playing if they really yeah. love the mechanics and the combat, make sure that someone is interested in the story. And mm. sometimes, I love Paizo, I love the way that Paizo writes adventure paths, but Paizo is very, puts it entirely on the game masters to deti- decide how much information to disseminate out to the players. And if the players seem like they're losing information, give or that they're that they're losing interest, give them more information. Let them know, hey, there's this thing coming up. It's going to be kind of interesting. Oh, hey, here's kind of a view on what you're eventually going to fight. Because if you're in book one and you have no idea where book six, six is going to be, you can't be excited for book six. Yeah. But if you're in book two or three and then suddenly you're getting hints of oh, this is going to be the big bad. We're going to be duking it out on a flying pyramid here pretty soon. Well, that sounds really cool. True. That's yeah. true, yeah, because I, I made the mistake in Serpent Skull of I teased the 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 kind of overall arching, like, big bad evil guy, for lack of a better term for it, and then I didn't talk about it for, like, three books, and suddenly <laughs> everybody's interest was just kind of like, eh, because, like, that that's an adventure path where, like, you're going to kind of Indiana Jones- your stuff but you need to have that like end point in mind or else it's just like why are we going into yet another you know ruin and trying to search through stuff this doesn't make sense to me yeah, he did go on to ask if we had any inv- advice about ensuring that people stay interested in the game and I think we kind of answered that question as well with yeah. uh, yeah. these yeah. suggestions I think we did it at the same time. and so he signs off with I lied about keeping the praise short thank you all so much for the hours of enjoyment <laughs> you've given this community <laughs> You are all truly wonderful role models for compassion and friendship, and you're also pretty decent at Pathfinder, I guess. Winky face emoji, which is my favorite thing. Uh, (laughs) Aw, shucks. I truly hope you all have wonderful, happy lives and continue the podcast for many years. Well, thank you, and that is the plan. Definitely the plan. Definitely the plan. That's why we're all quarantined, so we can have a wonderful, (laughs) happy, long life. (laughs) (laughs) Somebody said, who was it? I think it was Effeldom on the Discord said to me recently, we are all alive, so we must keep living. When I was <laughs> complaining about trying to have a wedding in the middle of a pand- pandemic, and he was like, well, you know, we're all still alive, so therefore we must keep living. And I was like, huh, you're right. That's some wisdom, man. <laughs> some wisdom. Our last email is from a friend of the pod, TJ, in West Crown. Hello, TJ. He says, Dear Find the Path podcast, hello from West Crown in Northern California. In a recent conversation, the question came up of what we thought was the Find the Path and their fan base. I thought it would make a fun conversation for this after party. So in a two-part question, what alignment do you generally consider yourselves? Myself. My gut says, as much as I love rules, my gut says neutral good. You're chaotic good because you take advantage of the rules. (laughs) <laughs> no, that's a lawful thing. That's yeah. a lawful thing. That is a lawful thing. <laughs> I adhere to the rules as long as I feel like that they are helping me tell a good story <laughs> and keeping everyone on even ground, but I don't have an issue with, with deviating from them. Uh, also, I routinely speed and all that other good stuff, so I'm not really in real life as much of a, a adherent to the rules. 
I think I'm chaotic good because I think rules should only be there if they're helpful and otherwise like F off to rules. And also being good matters. And if you have to break some rules to get there, that's important. So chaotic good, that's where I'm at. I really don't like being told what to do either. And I really have a hard time with people in authority over me who tell me to do things that are stupid. So chaotic good is probably where I live. Oh, by, by that argument, I'd be chaotic good too. Yeah, it's one of those like, that rule is stupid. I'm not going to follow it. Like that feels chaotic. <laughs> Yeah, I I guess I'm neutral good because like I You don't even speed. I don't speed. But I also <laughs> have the same kind of authority issues that Jess has and like I'm definitely for like fighting the man and you know all that stuff. So I I don't I, I kind of straddle the line between like, you know, going f- on the chaotic side and being on the lawful side. So I think I'm neutral good. I'm probably lawful good. I do speed, but I follow most of the rules and Especially at work with my uh, my role as a student instructor and the lead tech mm. at my job, I have to enforce said rules and keep mm. everybody in line. So I'm going to go with lawful good. <laughs> yeah, I, I would say minus my lead foot, I am probably lawful good. I do like rules to a certain extent. Like I feel like people should follow the rules when kind of going with Jessica's thought process when they are helpful to society. However, I am all down for changing rules if they are not. Mm. But I feel like there are proper ways to go about that as well. Well, you're the good, you're the good Trump's law side. Yes. Yeah, of course. I'm Uh, definitely the good Trump's law. Pretty much all lawful good is, is that viewpoint. It's the idea that law puts everyone on an even playing field and therefore it makes it fair, which is good. But when laws are not fair, I think you should... What's uh, a lawful good person would oppose? You should go against that. Yep. Yep. So, yeah. I think we've all all assigned ourselves to good because I think we are all hoping to better the world around us and to uh, to spread love and understanding. I was a teacher. I had to be good. I think it's part of the reason... There are some not nice ones. (laughs) I I think it's part of the reason I like playing evil characters so much and like the evil gods and everything so much because it's so not who I am and it lets me... Escapism. Yes, and it lets me and have fun with that kind of aspect in a fantasy setting where no one is actually really getting hurt. Mm. But in the second part of his question of TJ's question is, what alignments do you think make up your pathfolk base? I, I would like to think that good with varying degrees of law to chaos. <laughs> I think maybe some lawful I would definitely too. say good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we have a very good fan base and, you know, talking with people on the Discord and through our emails and stuff here, all of y'all yep. seem like really, really nice people. So we are very fortunate to have, as far as the online presence of our path folk, which is, I think, what we experience the most, they are very supportive of one another. They are very mm-hmm. encouraging with both praise for the show as well as working together in many cases to to form this amazing community that's grown up around the show. I think we have some great people in a very lawful position. Uh, shout out to, to Jay and Sarah for being able to organize all the people <laughs> and everything else on our, our subreddit. I don't know if they're lawful in their, their day-to-day life, but they do a great thing of establishing order for the <laughs> oh, and out there. over on the Discord, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then I imagine that there's probably a good chaotic person thrown in there every once in a while that's pushing the boundaries on our Discord games <laughs> or throwing out crazy uh, fan theories or designs out there. So I think we have a wonderful mix of people. Overwhelmingly good, and let's I'd say balance probably to neutral. Yeah, yeah there are a couple of neutral peeps. <laughs> like, you know, we got some rules lawyers hanging out, I'm sure, like some lawful <laughs> neutral bros. 
Yeah. yeah. But Probably. not bad bros. I just say bros like facetiously. Our fans are good because like 100% they're good because we've all done kind of silly things or things that we I like. I remember when we first started, I, I, there was a lot of times I was like, I'm going to get so flamed for this on the Reddit. And <laughs> no, never happened. Like yep. only like good <laughs> things come out of all that, all those interactions. And so I think our fans are overwhelmingly good. I think if we were looking at this as a, as a settlement spreadsheet mm. for Pathfolktopia or whatever the <laughs> name of our settlement would be. Oh, uh, wait, no, no, no. Path- I, I, I named my Kingmaker game after this. What do we call it? Pathfolkland. 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 So, I like yeah, that. If, we're, if we're looking at the, the community sheet for the the settlement sheet for Pathfolkland, uh, it would probably be... I need a map now? It'd probably be neutral good. So probably. 50%, 50% yeah. of our people neutral good. And then the rest, some sort of... Uh, combination out there yeah if you're chaotic evil thank you for staying mostly quiet on our message board. <laughs> <laughs> they're plotting well i guess they're not they're plotting plot. <laughs> they're waiting they're for just an chaotic. opportunity to come up yes tj signs off with thank you all for continuing to produce such a fun and a detailed podcast that is worth no matter what rick says every compliment in the world uh-huh. Aww. <laughs> Aww, i think oh, i think you. we're worth every compliment we receive he just doesn't like to hear I just don't like to hear him. He just feels awkward getting complimented. He just doesn't want to hear him. Yes, but thank, every, thank you all for writing in, and I hope we answered your questions. So if we're, uh, if we're casting a god for this week, Heather, I will I need you to. to bounce three D6. Whoa. My total is four. Hmm. That's pretty low on, on three D6, by the way. I rolled two ones and a two. Dang. It happens. Also, it doesn't matter. It's not like it's damaged dice. I know mean, that's true. I'm just commenting on an unusually low roll from Heather. All right, so I have our deity ahead of us. I will put in here, and down in the show notes probably also, uh, a spoiler alert for one of the adventure paths, in this case, Iron Gods. Iron Gods. Oh, Ah. I know who we're doing. Okay, cool. We are going to be casting Cassandaly, the Iron Goddess. Sweet. Cassandaly is an unusual god who achieved divinity through emerging of advanced science and faith. Formerly an artificial intelligence cloned from the mind of an android from outer space, Cassandaly gained her godhood in the heart of Numeria within the computer core of a crashed spaceship, becoming the patron of artificial life, free thinking, and intellectual apotheosis. Though she is sometimes referred to as the Iron Goddess, Cassandaly is much more than simple metal. She sometimes appears as a holographic construction of her android form, a female humanoid with purple hair, blue lips, and pale skin traced with glowing circuitry, but upon close inspection, this image seems to consist of millions of complex algorithms of pure light. Cassandaly and her followers seek to promote the advancement of Galarian's technology so that the world's inhabitants can better understand and not fear the complex mechanisms of so-called artificial life, including androids and free-willed artificial intelligences. Many androids consider themselves chosen people of Cassandaly and depict her as an obvious android with more circuitry or exposed components. So Uh, for those who are fans of Starfinder, she is also one third of Triune. That is correct. I actually have mine and I only have one. I have mine too. This is a rare moment, guys. I only have one. I've actually got more than one this time, so that's taking me. A second. You're only getting one. I know. All right, Heather. All right. So when you uh, started talking about an computer AI that you know became a goddess, the first thing that pops into my head, and I, I'm sticking with this, is uh, Majel Barrett. She's the voice of the computer on Star Trek and played Luxana Troy, and that's who it is in my brain. Nice. <laughs> uh, ex ex wife of Gene Roddenberry. I 
Yeah, uh, they were married. Yeah, they, they, were they were married. Yeah, they were married. Actually, I, I don't think it was ex-wife. I think it was widow in her case. I believe it was that she was married yeah. to Gene Roddenberry when he died. Yeah, I think she got... was also launched into space. Mm-hmm. Her ashes were. Yes. But that's a, I don't know why she popped into my head immediately when you started talking about Cassandra Lee, but that's who I'm going with. Hmm. Okay. Rachie? Okay. So I've been watching a lot of Lucifer recently. Mm. And so I picked Trisha Helfer. Um, she plays Lucifer's mom, but she was also on Battlestar Galactica. Yes. She played number yes. six. And she is also the voice of Sarah Kerrigan from StarCraft. And so when you were describing her, I was like, that kind of reminds me of Sarah Kerrigan when she gets all, I don't know, possessed is the right term, but taken over. I don't know. So, yeah, Trisha Helfer. She has an amazing voice. She's an amazing actress. And I think she would embody it perfectly. Rick. It's narrowing it down to one. I might need another minute. Okay, I'll go. Uh, my pick is Zoe Palmer. She plays the android on Dark Matter, but she's, oh yeah, she's great. Was, she's very good. <laughs> no, she's very good at uh, keeping kind of that android feel. But the character she plays also has uh, she does have like emotions and stuff, so she can bring that piece. Uh, so she's not pure android, but I think she's just perfect, and she's. You know, she's got the right kind of look. You could paint her lips purple and her, or sorry, her hair. You could make her hair purple and like her lips blue or whatever. And she would look great. Zoe Palmer. Nice. Okay. I, I'm, I'm kind of one of those weird people. Cause I always think of androids as like, they're all within like the 20 to 30 kind of age range as far as like what they look like. Cause they don't really age. Um, and I just figure like, you know, you probably put them in like peak health thing. Um, I'm going to pick a kind of out there one. Zendaya. Interesting. Because she she has, like, her Mary Jane delivery in, like, the Spider-Man series is very interesting in that it's not super emotional. Like, she just kind of has a, like, um, duh. You know, that's why I think she'd be actually really good at it. So, and I just like her and stuff, so. She's just amazing. I love her. Yeah. All right. So, I suppose for mine, I limited it down. So, uh, I'm going to go with Jerry Ryan, who is most famous as Seven of Nine in Voyager. Although she's uh, really great in her reprisal in Picard. So nice. I haven't seen Picard yet. I need to watch that. And again, she has she has an amazing delivery with its. Uh, it is that Borg level of there's a certain emotionlessness to it, but at the same time, there's a there's an amazing amount of snark that she manages to get into her delivery all of the time. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Also, she's she's just phenomenal. So yeah, I'm gonna go with Jerry Ryan. She's great. All right, all right. Well, there are your choices, Pathfolk. Be sure to vote on the Reddit. And Those are all really good choices, too. So mm-hmm. this is going to be a tough one. So I guess uh, that's it for this after party. Be sure to tune in next week to Mummy's Mask to see how the blindness and the deafness turns out for everyone. Are we going to get yeah. jumped by a Naga while we're taking his stuff? Who knows? Probably not. <laughs> I mean, maybe not. Depends on if he had some heal spells to cast and get himself back up full health before he yeah. jumps back out at you. Yeah. Fair point. <laughs> So uh, until then, uh, good luck, Pathfolk. Bye, Pathfolk. Pathfolk. Be safe, everyone. Enjoy Pathfolkland. Yep. Yes. Somebody needs to stat out Pathfolkland. Find the Path Ventures is an officially licensed partner of Paizo Incorporated. Mummy's Mask is copyrighted 2014. Mummy's Mask and the Pathfinder Adventure Path are trademarks of Paizo. All Pathfinder images are property of Paizo and are used with permission.